KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. The pandemic has changed the way we operate in our daily lives, and it's causing unbelievable stress. The worry about getting sick, the worry about lost income, online school, if there's school at all. And we're all being told to stay at home. This stew of stressors can make it hard for even the most agreeable people to get along with each other. But for those who are holed up with abusive partners, the situation is dangerous. And many times there are also kids involved. Beth Sturman is executive director of Laurel House, and she joins us for KYW In-Depth. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate your interest in this issue, which is obviously very important at this critical time. So could you start by telling us a little bit about Laurel House? Who are you and what do you do? Thank you. We're, uh, Laurel House is a comprehensive domestic violence agency. We provide immediate direct support services for people who are experiencing domestic violence, as well as um, some prevention support services for teen dating violence prevention and um, helping people know more about warning signs, that kind of thing. We do a lot of work with middle schools, high schools, and colleges. We do court accompaniment for a variety of issues related to domestic violence. We have a children's program we have um, for kids who are impacted by living with domestic violence at home. We have a domestic violence hotline and shelter, and we have an emergency response program that goes out in conjunction with law enforcement or medical personnel for on-site response when there is a domestic violence issue. Are you seeing or do you expect to see an increase in domestic violence uh, because of this pandemic? We have not seen an increase in phone calls yet to our hotline or to our our emergency responders. The numbers are holding steady. They're not decreasing. We um, are not sure why that is because we we did expect it, an increase, and we may very well see one as people continue to be cooped up and continue, I think, as people become more um, compliant with the stay-at-home orders uh, and truly aren't out and about and really are um, spending more time together in in sometimes very close quarters, I think we will see a spike. Uh, Honestly, we have not yet experienced that. What we are seeing is a much bigger increase in the folks that we're already working with, whether they're in any of our regular supportive service programs, um, in the shelter, the transitional housing program, um, those programs. In addition to that, the folks in the community that we provide support for, people in our counseling program and other supportive community programs, we're seeing a big increase in people calling for help um, who maybe just would normally talk to a counselor once a week and now they're calling more frequently and also needing more support, just practical support as well as the the domestic violence-related support, things like not being able to afford the groceries, diapers, cleaning supplies, not being able to afford or find the things that they need to keep their family going, but also to help keep the tension down as much as possible. Are you still able to operate your shelter? Our shelter is still operating. We stopped taking new residents a couple weeks ago um, just so that we have a um, 
you know, the cross cross contamination. We can try to avoid that, but we are helping every caller who needs shelter find an alternate. And when this, our county, Montgomery County has been great. The housing department's been great and they've helped work out arrangements with Laurel House as well as some of the other um, housing providers, not DV specific, to make some other arrangements within the county for people to go. So we are putting people into other placements. We're providing drop-off and no-contact support with supplies to those people that we put into other kinds of um, safe arrangements. And we're continuing to support those people virtually and by the phone. Where do you get your funding? Because I'm, you know, what I'm wondering is, is the financial impact from this pandemic is wide and deep. And so I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering how you're faring financially, how you're able to, to continue operating. So about a third of our funding comes through the state or federal government. And as of now, that has not slowed down. Um, there might be a little delay in some of the processing, but the funding levels are the same. I don't know how that will go down the line, but for now, that's the case. We are incredibly grateful and honestly very pleasantly surprised at the very generous support from the community through donating online. We have on our website a Donate Now button. Uh, We had a community group recently reach out and offer $4,000 to help buy um, gift cards. So that rather than people, I don't want people going out and shopping for gift cards and getting them to us because that puts the donors at risk. We're asking people donate now, specify client assistance. We have a virtual, a virtual way of getting the gift cards and getting them out to clients. And the response from the community has honestly been far more than I ever could have anticipated at a time when people are really facing their own, you know, both physical and financial challenges. So we're very, very grateful for that. Well, I, what I'm wondering, is, too, is people who maybe have were on the brink before this happened and mm-hmm. the, the traditional, I guess, um, escape routes, if you will, your shelter, <laughs> maybe going to a relative or friend's house, those options are no longer available. So what are people, yeah, what are people doing? What it seems, and I talked with our counseling director yesterday, it seems that people are just kind of hunkering down and uh, we are setting up a text line because we know that if you're home with someone who's abusive, it's very difficult to make a, a phone call. So we're setting up a text line where people can be connected to the advocate right away. What As I said, I think that as this goes on longer than people originally thought it might, that um, we will see a spike. And so when people reach out to us, whether it's by phone or virtual, and some are all of our emergency responders already have text capacity with clients. When they reach out to us, we're doing the best possible job we can do for safety planning to try to help them be as safe as possible if they can't get out and um, make a backup plan if there is a way, even a small window when they can get out. If they want to, we'll help them get to safety. And all all of the other domestic violence providers throughout the Commonwealth are doing the same thing. We're, if somebody has a way to get out and they're ready to go, we have a way to help them get out. What are, So if you could share advice, what are you telling people who are in a really difficult, maybe even a dangerous situation? Mm-hmm. How do they de-escalate that? Is there a way to de-escalate that? Is there a way to make yourself safe if you can't leave? Um, 
We have always believed, and I still believe, that the people, if someone's been in an abusive relationship for a period of time, and most of the folks that are holed up now with abusive significant others, it's been, you know, it's not a new relationship probably. They know their abuser better than anybody else. They know how to keep them as calm as possible, how to, um, we always say, don't poke the bear. They know how to do that really well. We, if they are able to reach out to us by text or by phone, we do sort of help them sort that through. We try to provide stress reducers for them because even though under good circumstances, they may be very able to de-escalate things to the best possible. You can never totally. Um, Now, when they're very stressed themselves, it's more challenging. So we're just providing as much virtual support and phone support as we can and tech support to help them stay as calm as possible so that they can try to diffuse things to the best of their ability, knowing that it won't always work, which is one of the many tragedies of the current situation. And the other thing is that there are kids involved. So in many of these situations, so kids who maybe were gone for the day, at least they were in school during the school year are now cooped up in, you know, in the home with, you know, the two adults, one of whom is a lot of tension in the house, a lot of potential for abuse or abuse. It's very difficult for the kids. Again, the non-abusive parent is the best ally that child has. So um, what we have always done and what we're still doing and, and, Um, studies through the CDC and other groups show that the best possible support for those kids is support for the non-abusive parent so that those, that non-abusive parent can be as supportive and helpful to the child as possible. Knowing that long-term kids who grow up in households where there's domestic violence with or without a pandemic are, are always impacted by that. Even if the parents don't think the children are aware of it, they are. Um, and they're always impacted by that. We know that when I say when this is over, hopefully, hopefully when we all emerge from this, we know that those kids are going to need even more help than ever. And their non-abusive parent will need even more help than ever. And we are already strategizing for how to make that as available as possible. What would your advice be to people who maybe were in a very difficult relationship, but it's turned abusive in light of maybe the financial difficulties, the stress right. of being together all the time? People who, mm-hmm. you know, maybe hadn't yet reached out. What mm-hmm. would you tell them? If they can possibly make a safe phone call, they can call their local domestic violence hotline or they can call the national hotline. Um, there's also on the national hotline, there's also a text, national text line. They can, uh, you know, reach out if it's at the point where it's so dangerous that it needs to be a police involvement, then call 911. The police are still responding to domestics. Two of the folks that we recently placed into um, safe placements outside of our shelter came through two different police departments in our county. The police are being great. They're, they're responding as quickly and as efficiently and effectively as possible. And once, if someone, if, if it's physically dangerous to the point that it needs police need to be involved, those officers will find a way to help that person get to safety. Are people still able to get PFAs? Yes. Um, So every county is managing this a little bit differently. Um, In Montgomery County, I'm not sure what Philly is doing, but I know that that they're 
you know, on it as well. In Montgomery County, the court is still processing emergency and temporary protection orders. They're not currently processing permanent ones, but they are extending the temporaries so that the person is protected as long as necessary. And how are how are you staying safe? You your advocates who <laughs> yeah who, who go out. Um, we're very fortunate that I have we have a very dedicated shelter staff that and we're we're down to as minimal on-site direct service staffing as possible. Um, they have done a really great job of implementing every possible safety precaution as they go in and out. Um, when they need supplies at the shelter, I have no more than three or four people. And we have a large office and most of our folks are working remotely at this point. Um, but when the shelter needs something, one of us takes it over to um, the shelter porch and leaves it there and they come out and get it. So we're not cross-contaminating between the office and the shelter. Um, our remote locations are all closed. Or we have um, satellite offices. Those are currently closed, but those... Employees are still working remotely with clients and still available pretty much 24. We have 24-7 availability, which I'm very grateful for. And some community groups, as well as our county housing department, have really rallied to help make sure that we have um, some protective masks. There are a lot of groups now doing masks, sewing masks. So the mask, well, there's a mask maker group that provided 30 hand-sewn masks for our staff and our residents. Um, we've been very, very for the community support has really been phenomenal. We have gloves, we have masks, other providers, all the providers are sharing. If somebody has gloves and somebody else has masks, we just trade. We have cleaning supplies. It's hard. It's getting harder to get the cleaning supplies that our clients out in the community need. Um, but so far we've, we've been very fortunate. One of the, the, I I, I'm not looking for any silver linings in this. I think it's, um, you know, such an unprecedented challenge for the world, but because it's on the heels of the December holidays when we had very, very generous in-kind donors, we were very well stocked with food, paper products, cleaning products, diapers, wipes, things like that, that have made it much easier for our families that we serve to um, get what they need during this time. How How long can you last, though? So you got those supplies, and I know you've been getting donations, but... If you're expecting, you know, you've getting you're getting an increase of calls for, for help with people there, and I'm we assuming, are. yeah, if yeah. you're if you're expecting a spike in these cases, what, how long? What I, you? yeah, so we have about a month's worth of supplies between what we have on hand at the shelter and the office. We are really discouraging people from going out and getting supplies and bringing them. I'd rather just have people donate the money that we will order the supplies delivered. But there have been some companies um, that have taken it upon themselves to call and say, hey, we have wipes. Do you need them? And they just deliver that, you know, they have them delivered to us. So in another month or so, we will be relatively out of the cleaning supplies and food and those kinds of things that we need to be able to continue to help the people that we're supporting. Um, Hopefully, we will at that point have enough financial reserve and gift cards that we can order those things and have them shipped directly to people because a lot of our clients also don't have the access to get out and go to the grocery and it may not be safe for them to do that if they have underlying issues or um, age-related things or they can't take the kids with them to the grocery. So I think this 
um, ha- ordering things and having them delivered when you can find them is the safest way to do this. And that's what we're starting to do more of with the people that we serve. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Mm, Carol, thank you very much. Stay safe out there and you be careful. Um, and I look forward to meeting you in person when we can do that again. <laughs> All right. You stay <laughs> safe care. too. You too. Thank Take you. Care, I appreciate that. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic, or if you just want to know more than what you're hearing on the news right now, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to know how this could change your life or your routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.